Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Tuesday at 2 Eastern Time USA. It's Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. We're live with the Nonprofit Exchange. Um, this is episode 300 and something. I think it's around 312. Um, and we've never had a guest that has this specific niche. We've had people talking about accounting and finance, but how many times has your board gotten financial statements and they went scratching their head and maybe they're afraid to ask questions? But this today is about financial literacy for your board. And our guest is Melissa Galasso. Melissa, introduce yourself to people. Tell them a little bit about, about you and your background and why do you do this work? What is your passion? Um, I am super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am the CEO of Galasso Learning Solutions. Um, I am a CPA. I have over 20 years of experience in the accounting profession, um, but I have had a niche in the area of government and nonprofit for a long time. I really enjoy working with entities who serve the nonprofit and government um, you know, environment because you get to see the good that's done in the world. And as much I love my corporate clients, but working with nonprofits is really uh, where you see their mission and you see it bloom and you see the impact that they have. And it's just a, a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and so my background is I've had, again, 20 years of experience in the accounting profession. Um, and I have gone back to school uh, after being a CPA for a number of years, and I became a certified professional and talent development. Uh, I have my master trainer designation, and I'm also a certified speaking professional. And so Galassa Learning Solution offers continuing professional education specifically for CPAs serving the nonprofit and government arena. And my clients are phenomenal CPA firms all over the country who really want to make a difference. They want to help nonprofits and governments really be the best that they can be. And so I support them through providing them up-to-date information on what's changing in accounting standards uh, and what's changing in the audit requirements. And in return, you know, I get to hear all these awesome stories. And as you mentioned, a lot of times people gave me feedback is, you know, we put a lot of work into auditing the financials and they, you know, we really want to make a difference. And boards just approve them because they can't read them or it doesn't make sense to them or they don't have the literacy background. And uh, during COVID, I had a little bit more time on my hands than I normally did. And I decided to take up the challenge of figuring out how could we better serve uh, nonprofit boards to give them the education that they needed. So I wrote a book called uh, Money Matters for Nonprofits, and it helps board members understand their fiduciary responsibilities but also what they need to know from a nonprofit accounting requirement. And so the basics, no debits, no credits, but what they need to know to be able to really approve those financials and engage with their CPA firms. Um, from a technical perspective, I serve on the FASB, which is the Financial Accounting Standards Board's uh, not-for-profit advisory committee. The FASB is the organization who writes GAAP or the uh, generally accepted accounting principles that nonprofits can file. Uh, and so it's been a real uh, pleasure for me to work with others in the nonprofit arena to develop standards that they can then support. Uh, and so I've worked as an auditor, I've worked in education, and I just love this ability to work with nonprofits. So I'm really excited to be here with you today to talk about the financial literacy element. There's, thank you for that. That's, you're very qualified for this. And um, I'm going to ask you in a minute, how do you choose an accountant that really um, understands the nuances of nonprofit? It's, it's still a business, but there's some extra challenges. But um, 
Let's talk about the importance of this financial piece for boards. You know, boards have a fiduciary responsibility. Explain a little bit about that and why boards should care about understanding these documents. Absolutely. So as you said, they do have a fiduciary responsibility. Most states do follow the model. Um, you know, the, there's a model nonprofit uh, act, and that is drafted by the American Bar Association. And it basically gives nonprofit boards a lot of responsibility. And so while it's awesome to serve on the board because you want to help its mission, when you accept a responsibility for being on the board, you are required to, um, you're, you're basically responsible for the overall strategy and mission and vision of the organization. And all the corporate powers have to be exercised by that board. And so board members get a legal responsibility for the duty of care, the duty of loyalty, and the duty of obedience. And so when you look at the duty of care, compliance with laws and regulations and statutes is a big element of it. So when you're voting on policies or you're voting on financial information, you are doing that with a legal responsibility. It's not just a nice to have small part, or it's just the treasurer's job. I hear that all the time. Well, we have a treasurer the whole board votes, not just the treasurer. And so that duty of care is super important. And when we get into the duty of loyalty, when we think about conflict of interest policies and things of that nature. And so, you know, file, filing the 990 falls under the duty of obedience. And so when we think about these duties, right, these laws that put a legal responsibility on the board, it's important that the board have that understanding of what they're approving, that they're, they have enough information to make good decisions about who should be the auditor? What are the, you know, what types of uh, even review do we need? Do we need an audit? Should, would a compilation be enough? Would we need a review? Do we need a single audit, especially with a lot of the funding out there? And so you can't make good decisions if you're uninformed. And so really understanding that when you are taking this oversight responsibility, you are held accountable for the outcomes. And so uh, from a legal perspective, from a tax perspective, uh, all of the various elements, you really want to make sure that we're, we're doing what we need to do. It's also a, a, an ethical perspective. We are stewards of other people's money. Yeah. So there's there's a higher calling here. The, it, you know, we're in business. It's not a for-profit business. I like to call it a for-purpose business. You know, We have those business standards and we have a higher level of standards. And uh, um, so there's multiple reasons why board members um, need to pay attention. So does that mean they, they have to understand accounting? What does that mean? Well, from a risk management perspective, right, we want our, our, our organization to be successful. And if we don't know how we're trending, if we don't know how, you know, our liquidity, we don't know how we're operating and we may be spending money on things we shouldn't, or we are not generating the revenue in the areas that we need to, we won't have a sustainable organization, right? So organizations have to have the financial background. So again, while we're not for profit, we definitely have to have some financial sustainability. And we see it on both sides where we try to get so lean that it leads to the starvation cycle. And then the organization just isn't able to survive or we have so much money that we're not really paying attention to where we're spending it. And then all of a sudden we've really lost the focus on the mission and the organization isn't achieving the, what it could do. And so from a rich risk management strategy, you don't have to know the debits and credits. You don't need to know how to book the journal entries, but you should know what 
are the financial statements that are required. You should know what uh, you know the key elements of those financial statements are, and you should know some basic KPIs to be able to evaluate your organization, to be able to say, okay, how are we trending? What are these liquidity liquidity ratios? How what are they doing for us? Where should we be concerned? Where should we be super proud of ourselves? And what KPIs do we want to set? Uh, and so I think that's really important that the organization come back to that at the end of the day and be like, okay, I'm responsible for achieving. Well, what am I achieving? What are the goals? How are we tied to this? And financials are a key portion because if you don't have a sustainable organization, you can't do all the work that you want to do, right? You're limited. And so having a good understanding of the financials and of what the key elements are, again, not the debits and credits, we don't need the weeds, but we need to have a good understanding of the big picture so we can make that evaluation and we can course correct or we can keep pushing on with something that's working. That is a lot of stuff. <laughs> she slipped in KPIs, that's key performance indicators, right? That's correct. So we, we set up some standards and we wanna measure how we're doing. Now, there's this stupid word we use. It's really dumb. It's called, if the word is nonprofit. It, <laughs> it puts us into this scarcity mind thing. Oh, that's not important. We don't need, we can't pay for that. So. How do we, we need to value the accuracy of our information. We have to have safeguards because every year there's money that disappears from nonprofit checking accounts because you really didn't have a, a protocol in place for making sure that the person signing the check was not putting it in their pocket. Absolutely. Um, Internal and, and that's to protect the, tre the uh, whoever the treasurer is writing the checks or signing the checks, has to protect, protect them as much as the, the board and the organization. So, Talk about choosing, I shared with you before we came on a last organization where I was president, I had a hard time finding a treasurer um, and it, I needed somebody that did more than fog a mirror, you know, somebody that could understand and explain them. So what are some of the guidelines that we needed to have? It's like hiring an employee, really. What are the qualifications that we need and what is the, the buy-in from them? What's their commitment to helping us both? as a treasurer and then an outside CPA firm to help us with our accounting. Cause you really, I think you, I always recommend you have an outside CPA firm. I don't know where you are on that. I am of the same. I believe that an independent uh, review is always good. Now what level they provide is, you know, very variable, but in terms of a treasurer, that person should be committed to having a basic understanding of whatever financial reporting framework they're using, whether it's cash basis or GAAP, right? Not every organization needs to use GAAP. GAAP's wonderful accrual basis is great for interpreting, but some organizations could really just be fine with a cash basis, how much money's come in, how much money's gone out the door, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, but as you start to get larger and as you start to have employees and you start to look at things like grants or um, you start to get involvement with other types of funding, GAP is a more well-perceived, banks prefer to see an accrual basis to see what those liabilities are longer term uh, to have that better understanding. And so having a commitment to having someone with that knowledge, and in particular, a nice portion should be in nonprofit, because if you think about it for profit, it is the intent is to, you know, to bring profit to the organization and really to the shareholders. And that's not the intent, right? We don't have an income statement. We have a statement of activities and that's intentional because we're really trying to look at what the change in the balance is. We're not looking at net income. We don't calculate net income. Uh, and so knowing what those, you know, nuanced differences between say a for-profit financial statement and a nonprofit, because I've seen this before too. They're like, oh, well, this person works in finance and they're on some big SEC company board, they're gonna be great as our treasurer. 
but they don't know anything about the nonprofit requirements. They don't know anything about the 990. They don't understand that. Uh, and so sometimes it's a commitment to just learn it. Uh, and so that it's not really that complicated uh, to understand the differences, especially if you have a strong background in finance, you can naturally learn the differences, but that commitment to be there, but to also be able to work with whoever is inside of the organization to get the reporting set up to understand you know, when we're going to do this, how often am I going to report out to the board, um, what are the KPIs that make sense. And so someone who's committed to more than just showing up for a board meeting, but to really be involved in the, you know, the organization's preparation. And then I do think it's important to have an independent public accountant, whether that's an auditor or whether that's someone who's going to come in and do a lower level service, it is important to think about those things. Um, and the first one you really want to check is, do they have a specialty in the nonprofit? arena, because there are a lot of people who will do a thousand industries, but not a lot of depth. And so there's a lot of really cool, unique things that are within the nonprofit area. And so someone who's committed to having someone who, for example, the AICPA has a nonprofit um, membership section. Are they members of that? Are they staying up to date with what's going on? Um, are they committed to getting the continuing uh, education in that area? So what are they focused on? Uh, and then really looking for um, an entity that can grow with you because, you know, you might get government grants, or you might get state funding, or you might get other funding that requires a yellow book audit or a single audit in this world to, today with all of the federal funding out there. Uh, there are 30, I think it was the last uh, count that I saw was 30,000 new single audits and just due to all the federal funding uh, recently that's come through the CARES Act and ARPA and all of the various funding. And they're going to organizations who've never received funding before, uh, who weren't eligible for funding historically. And, and that's a, a, a new level of service. That's a much different audit. Uh, and so someone who knows the ins and outs and can grow with you as you look for different funding sources and as you, as you want to grow. Uh, and so actually in the book, um, I actually have a whole chapter. It's an appendix at the end of after chapter eight, which are questions for the independent accountant. And so they talk about, you know, questions you would ask during the selection, um, you know, what are the experience type items, um, if they have to how they do their billing. Do they bill by the hour? Is it value billing? Um, what kind of educational offerings? I think that's a really important, you know, are you going to help us grow? Are you going to provide educational information for us as a board, but also for management? And then I think the other area that we can always get into is do they give you feedback, right? Are they telling you where you could improve or how you benchmark against other organizations, which again, when you have that industry knowledge, they can then say, you know, for an organization of your size, you know, we would expect you to have these internal controls, or we would expect you to have already done a more of an investment policy that's, a, you know, a little bit different than how you're currently doing it. So when we look at, um, you know, really evaluating the quality of the, if you currently have one, are they giving you that feedback? Are they helping you grow? Are they supporting your organization? Those are the types of things I like to look for um, in a CPA firm who's really trying to help you be the best organization that you can be. Wow. Wow. So that's a lot of questions. So folks, you get to watch this again. You can go back and replay this and pick up those sound bites. Lots of really important nuggets there. And so understanding what it is that you're approving is important for all the reasons that we covered before, but what to look for, and then to have a treasurer that can highlight things. So Melissa, um, is there such a thing as the treasurer presenting too much data? 
oh, when people get into the weeds or they have 50 KPIs they're tracking, you can't have everything be important, right? So sometimes a current KPI, again, uh, key performance indicator needs to drop off and be replaced with a new one. Uh, don't track things that we don't need. Uh, don't overwhelm the board. We are trying to make decisions. And if we have just you know the kitchen sink approach, you can't weed through it fast enough. So there's gotta be a really nice balance on what are the core financials what are the you know the ratios that we're tracking, the indicators that we're tracking, and reevaluate them. Um, even as a small business, that's one of the first things that we do every year. We look at what we're currently tracking, and we're like, that's no longer a concern. And if we want to grow, this is what we're going to change to. And I feel like nonprofits can use those best practices to say, okay, what am I tracking? And it's not a one size fits all, right? So um, in the book, I actually do a comparison. It was kind of fun of a hospital to a free clinic uh, and, the, and the key performance indicators because you would say, oh, well, they're all healthcare. Well, you can't take a free clinic and compare it to a hospital. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Not even the size, but just, you know, the indicators are so different, right? So if you're just trying to service the community, right, your indicators are going to be more about volume and preventative versus if you're a hospital and you're looking at totally different groups. So I was I was working with a nonprofit leader and was at a board meeting where they passed out financial reports and there was a stack and they went through different layers and once you know this and once you know this and you know the 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 leader's idea was that was ultimate transparency but you could see the glassy eyed stairs um, and so when I replaced we did summary documents and then people could say I want to print out of this or want to print out of that which we supplied people we also gave them the reports a week ahead digitally. They could download them, look at the summary reports, so they came ready for questions. So I gave them a week for that. But then they passed out those sheets, and they, the leader said, "Give them back because this is private. Um, this public information. You can you can go online. So so we want to make sure it's right. It is public information. We, we're holding money for other people and using it for philanthropy, which is love of humankind. We're we're part of that thread. Part of its money. Part of it is service. Part of its talent. But that transparency, you know, it's people know it, it's public information. But if we're not good at this, Melissa, it's gonna, I wouldn't donate to a company that didn't have good clean records. How important is it for donors to know that you're you got your your financial house in order? Oh, it is so important. I mean, my daughter goes to a private school, so it falls under the nonprofit realm. And as a parent, I call and ask for the financial statements because I want to make sure that the teachers are getting the proper education and, and where they're spending the annual fund and what's going to support and, and how much is going to scholarship, even as just a parent and obviously as a donor to the school. And so I know I want to give to the entity that's going to make the biggest difference. And if I don't think that entity is going to be around in a couple of years because they don't have the financial support they need, I'm very unlikely to donate. And your larger organizations, if you want to get into the grant world, they're going to expect that you have good basic financial statements that are supportable. And they're going to be looking for that level of detail. So you have to be able to produce an accurate set of financial statements and be able to tell your story because really your financial statements do tell a good portion of your story, where you're spending your money, what are you prioritizing, where are the changes coming from, all come from those financials. And so it's more sophisticated donors are going to ask for that. And so as you start to build up on the types of funds that you're looking for, if you have a, a project that you're looking to do, I know um, at my church, we're trying to um, add on a rec area. And so when you're looking for donations related to that, people are going to want to make sure that, well, 
is everything else financially solvent before I go and add, you know, a big PP&E, so a property plan or equipment, right, which are, you know, time amount of effort and money that you're going to have to suck into it for a period of time before you get any return on it. And so you're going to have to really focus on those items and be a little bit broader in that area. So I want to you slipped by another thing, just make sure I'm listening. I'm sure money matters. You talked about the book. I want to come back and talk about this big old elephant called overhead, but um, you have this book called money matters. You just kind of refer to it. It's on your website um, and there's a tab for the book at, at the menu at the top. And by the way, um, well, that's money matters. So the basic website is, is Galasso learning solutions.com and I'll, it's on the page for the interview g-a-l-a-s-s-o and then it's learning systems.com but you click there on the book and it goes to a money matters for nonprofits.com tell us about the book sure um i wrote the book really for board members who didn't have a very strong financial background. Um, so the first chapter walks them through what are their fiduciary responsibilities, kind of gives them that overview of what, what is the expectation when you say yes to joining a board. Uh, and then the next chapter just gives a high level overview of the different types of financial statements that you would expect to see in an organization. Uh, and then each chapter after that focuses on an individual statement. And what I really wanted to do was make the book very practical in that there's a lot of stories. Um, there's a lot of um, people that you'll get to meet and their jobs and what they're doing and some of the best practices related to internal control or um, uh, bank reconciliations and what they're doing to make uh, the organization financially strong. Um, and the, the goal of the book was really to be practical. So in the end of each of the chapters, we present example financial statements from entities that you would recognize. Um, we wanted to show the differences in terms of presentation that are out there and how organizations choose to tell their story. And so lots and lots of wonderful nonprofits all over the country gave permission for us to use their financial statements in the book. Um, and so lots of work through legal uh, to get all of those examples in, but it was a really phenomenal output there. Uh, and then we have a whole chapter on evaluating KPIs, trends, et cetera. And then we close with the section on the independent public accountant. And so it's really all in one, uh, everything that you would need uh, with, a, with respect to a financial, uh, you know, what you need to know as a board member. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's definitely been something that's gotten a lot of positive feedback. It's doing very well uh, with Amazon reviews right now. So we're hopeful that it really does help make a difference for those people who are signing up because it's a big responsibility and we want to support them. We want them to be successful. Oh, that's awesome. So let me go back to the main website. That's Money Matters for Nonprofits. You can find it on Amazon. Colasso. So you have, um, you have topics offered as another menu item. Look at all those topics. So you offer, are these trainings for nonprofit leaders or who's, who are these for? We have a lot of nonprofits, our universities and not-for-profit organizations, and also CPA firms. And so we have different ways of providing training. We have um, on-demand courses, we have live courses, we have custom courses that we write uh, specifically for organizations. Uh, I have a couple of universities who I write very specific um, guidance for them. And we write a course specifically on what they're looking at. Uh, and so we have 
quite a bit in that area. We also teach some of those softer skills. And so I have some wonderful, um, you know, partners that we teach together. So I teach a lot of the government and nonprofit, but we have um, a person who specializes in employee benefit plans and we have people who specialize in tax and, and other trainings. And so it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to really give that um, ability to expand uh, into other areas. And so we love to teach. My background is in teaching. Um, I'd studied adult learning theory to help make things more practical, which is why the book has so many stories. Because one of the things that we know is that for so long, everything was passed down through story. We didn't necessarily teach everyone to read and write. And so everything was oral history until we had the opportunity to make books more accessible. And so stories stick with us uh, and that people learn through story. And so there's a lot of story in the book. So you can bone up on all these topics that she's, um, that's, that that whizzing sound is all this data going by your head. It's it's very useful stuff. And fortunately, you can listen to this podcast again. Um, you can also get the book Money Matters for Nonprofits, which gives you some in-depth learning. Because I imagine there's a lot of board members that don't know what questions to ask the treasurer or even to ask the CPA or even as they're interviewing either one of those people. So mm -hmm. uh, as I understand that book, then it doesn't really teach you about debits and credits and the ground level stuff. It just teaches you about the concepts and you know, what things that you ought to be paying attention to, right? That's correct. There's no debits, no credits. We don't want to make it the weeds. We don't expect you to book adjusting journal entries. We want you to be able to interpret the financial statements and to make decisions based on them. So there's a lot of misinformation and fear around and over concern, I think, about overhead. <laughs> it's so I'm a Scottish Presbyterian, you know, the word frugal we like, other people... <laughs> Other people have different words for it, but we call it frugal. Um, we can make a nickel go a long way. Um, but we do get into scarcity thinking with this um, this nonprofit word instead of, you know, God's given us an abundance. We there, So there's a balance here where we have to pay good salaries. We, you know, we are called to support the people at work. We also need to do some marketing and some professional development for the people at work for us. None of those are frivolous expenses, but we have this this mythology about overhead, and we sort of think we can't spend any money. How do you weigh in on that? Well, there's so many studies on what they call the starvation cycle. Uh, we actually talk a little bit about it in the book, because when we look at overhead, as you said, it is actually an investment in the organization, right? So yes, if I invest in expensive software, I'm going to take a hit to my cash flow, right? It's going to happen. But if you don't, and you have these ancient systems that are super antiquated, they take so much staff time, you're not able to produce things in a timely fashion. Well, you know, it's you know, over time, you're either going to have high turnover because nobody wants to work in a system that's that ancient, um, or you're going to have people run out of steam because uh, the organization isn't uh, investing in the future. And so some of the, what you have to think about is I'm investing in somebody, you know, who is in finance, who has a good understanding of accounting and I'm investing in a, a CEO or executive director or whatever the title we want to use, who's going to be able to support fundraising and a knowledge of the internals, as well as making sure that we hit that mission. And so we want to think about long-term benefits as well. So overhead is a natural outcome of that. We have to invest in the organization so that it can do those mission-driven items, because if you get into that starvation cycle, you actually damage the organization long-term, and sometimes they don't survive. Uh, and so you want to focus on your mission, but supporting activities are an integral part of being successful. Well, things like if if you serve people, you know, you, you, you've got 
people on the payroll that do training for people. I live in um, Lynchburg, Virginia. It's the highest poverty in the Commonwealth, Virginia. And many of our nonprofits serve food and serve meals, um, and they serve people in other ways. So it's, and many of those are volunteers, but there are some staff people that are actually boots on the ground. Is that part of the delivery? Is that part of overhead or is that part of the, the mission of the organization that's not overhead? So volunteers are awesome. There's different um, perspectives from a gap perspective. Um, if it is a contributed service provided by somebody with a specialized skill. So for example, if you have somebody who is donating time to take on the 990, the tax reporting for most nonprofits, obviously um, religious institutions are excluded from that requirement, but for traditional nonprofits, they have to file a 990, which is an informational report. Um, if someone volunteers to do that in that scenario, then um, as you look at it, that would be an expense to the organization, but also be revenue. So it kind of works both ways. Um, for uh, people who are donating their time without a specialized skill, while we don't recognize them in the financial statements, many organizations would not be able to, um, to work without them, right? So volunteers are the, the lifeline for so many. And so they've actually done a whole bunch of studies on the value of, a, of just an hour of time. Just what what does it look like an hour of time in 2021? The value was $29 for one hour of volunteer time. And that was up 5%. And that's that study came from independent sector. Uh, and they look at what the value is. And so people who choose to give you their time, right? Otherwise, you'd have to pay for that. Uh, and so there's a lot to be said, even if you don't recognize it in the financial statements, what would you do without them? You'd have to incur the cost. What about the, the paid service? Like you have staff people that are boots on the ground with them. So they're actually part of the mission. So is that overhead or is that part of the mission? If they're serving, then it's part of the mission. Um, if they're doing overhead things like human resources or IT that maybe aren't part of the mission, yeah, it's overhead, but it, without human resources and without IT, you're going to have problems with the, the mission. And so I always think about overhead as supporting the mission, right? So they're out there. It's not like you're spending money frivolously. It's for a purpose to support the organization so it can expand its mission. So it's important to have a CPA that understands how you can account for those, those items. So when you're talking to donors and they have questions, you can be faithful in answering them. Well, Melissa, That's this one is one of my favorite financial statements, actually. It's the uh, statement of functional expenses, which gives you by program versus support how each of your expenses plays out. And it's one of my favorite because it really tells the story of the organization. How much of my salaries is spent on program? How much of my salaries is spent on support? What is my rent compared to support versus program? Uh, and that financial statement is so misutilized because people don't understand it, but it's my favorite financial statement. That's your benefit for sticking with it. In the last minute in the interview, you got that gold nugget, which you probably never heard about. So, <laughs> so Melissa, any, any parting thoughts you want to leave with people today? I would just like to say that when you serve as a board member, it is one of the biggest um, responsibilities, but also one of the most wonderful things that you can do. I've served on several boards and I, you know, the difference that a board member can make, and we need people with different backgrounds. Everyone, if the whole board was made up of people from finance, it would one, not be a very successful board. And two, it'd be very boring. You, you need the variety. So bring your variety, but just know that you have some responsibilities here because we really need you to make the organization the best that it can be. Well, Melissa Galasso, wonderful interview, full of useful information. Thank you for being our guest today on The Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.